Hello, everyone. This is Christian, your host of the Linear Cloud podcast. Today, I'll start the podcast by an introductory episode. So I'll just introduce myself. I'll try to give a detailed account of my background so you know my story, where I'm coming from, and the things that I've done so far in my life and career. And yeah, how it all ties together to bring me where I am today. Uh, so hope you can get a, a bigger, a better picture of of my my background and experience. So let's talk a bit about myself, uh, about my background. So I was born um, in communist Roma- Romania in the mid eighties. Um, so still in the um, in the communist era. So. I don't remember much of that time, um, just that at some point they brought these red flags and swag from the last Congress of the Communist Party when I was maybe four years old. Um, what I remember is we all lived with my grandparents in the countryside. It was a small farm, just enough to live from it. After the, the communists fell, um, they started to get their land back and started to raise a few farm animals. Um, and my parents still lived there. Yeah, so I, ki- I quit kindergarten when I was three years old. Um, after one of my favorite people, my cousin Anka, uh, graduated, went to school finally. She was three years senior to me. After she went to school, I no longer wanted to go to the kindergarten. She yeah unfortunately passed away last year and uh, it's a bit hard to to remember but then after i after i um stopped attending i just didn't want to go anymore and somehow i was raised by my grandparents because my parents were were working in the factory basically i had very few toys as i was a child um and then and as I grew, I eventually started to make my own toys from all sorts of like scrap metal, wood, um, with a lot of help from my father or grandfather, as I was really crafty and building things from, from that young age. And my, my grandparent, my grandpa was actually my, my main figure in the childhood. He was um, an accountant at the nearest uh, communist uh, collective farm. Um, he actually grew up during World War II, and because of the war, he he was uh, he stopped going to school when he was like ten or twelve years old. Um, but he was very smart person and entrepreneurial in a way, so I learned a lot of things from him. And he told me a bunch of things from like after the war and um, the army and everything. Actually, he taught me how to read and write uh, at a relatively young age, when I was four years old, I was already able to read. He was uh, also in charge of the of the cinema of the village. The TV was just like two hours a day. And if I remember, it was all about how Ceausescu was visiting factories and stuff. So every Sunday we had proper uh, films um, projected in this in the cinema that my my grandpa was uh, was uh, in charge of um and he got me to those movies pretty much every week so they had this film projector and i was there helping him with the films and i was installing the um the film and somehow at times it it broke um and it had to be glued back so i i learned all this process of fixing the film uh yeah and 
he was also doing a lot of things like constructions work. He was making these ceramic stoves and ovens, um, and he was putting the exterior of buildings. So as I grew up, I got to help him also with like changing roofs, uh, bricklaying, all sorts of farming work, um, like mowing, um, hoeing manually every year. We had this, these uh, corn uh, crops that we were, were helping and yeah. Um, but he also, when I was a child, one of the first things he did was he let me play with his handheld calculator. That's how I first got in touch with like technology. I was maybe five or so. And after Ceausescu was shot, um, he took, my grandpa took the initiative to salvage the archive uh, of the collective farm um, where everybody was like written down how many hours they worked and uh, how much land and so on. And this data was very valuable um, for people afterwards because it was useful for them to, to get their pension. So for the next couple of years, um, my grandpa was was giving these documents to people. And as I grew up, I got to help him um, like um, yeah, double checking the, the numbers and I used this handheld calculator. And yeah, it was a lot of fun for me. I was already in school and um, yeah, I was eventually I, I grew a big fan of the Star Trek computer because I watching started to have Star Trek on TV, and I always wanted to have one of those. Um, but of course, the computers from Star Trek were different from the ones in the real world, and my parents couldn't afford any of those. Um, and yeah, I was always this curious child, um, pretty good in school, loved solving problems. Um, Eventually, I, I got uh, in love with maths and physics and uh, like geography was also big and chemistry. And in the first year of school, I was the only one in my class. So in the first four years, and we had this mixed group with all children for from four, the first four grades in the same room and eventually started to chime in and and uh, got into conversations with the other kids uh, which who were who were older and i was uh, helping them and it was a bit um interesting experience to be to be in this group and and getting the chance to learn things ahead of time and then when when i was in the fifth to eighth grade we were very little like a, a very small group we were like six or seven kids in the group and essentially, I was working one to one with each teacher throughout my throughout my my entire um, um, school, like like this middle middle school, because um, because all the time they would take us um, at the blackboard and we were sol solving problems together, and that got. Like if you were interested in learning, that was really nice, nice advantage to have this sort of face-to-face -face time with the teachers. Um, and yeah, I got, got pretty good at, uh, at maths and physics and stuff. And yeah, eventually um, time came for, for, my, for my high school. So I entered the math informatics high school 
actually I was among the last kids to get admitted in my in my class um, because I had no tutoring. My parents couldn't afford that at the time, and I just used whatever I I could do. And apparently, this this high school was uh, was pretty in high demand, and uh, they had a very high high bar and pretty difficult exams. And most of the kids who entered had um, tutoring and and uh, came from from fluent family affluent families um, who could afford that. And then in high school, as I was in my informatics um, uh, class, I needed a, a computer. So, yeah, I needed it for, for school. And my, my parents were actually raising money for that. But, um, yeah, they never got to buy it. Somehow, I got very lucky and won my first computer on a TV show for kids. And I was like 15 years old in high school, my first year of high school. I started high school like three months before. Um, and what happened was uh, my sister, I, ha- I have a, a younger sister, two years younger than me. She was watching this TV show for kids uh, in the national TV. And there was this uh, this raffle of some sort. Um, you were supposed to send a letter to the to the TV station, and they had this huge pile of letters. And somehow, my she, she sent a letter for her and one for me. And somehow, my letter came, and I, I won my first computer on TV. And I was this fifteen years old. My my voice had already started to change, and it was really awkward for me to go on national TV with these five year old kids uh, show and. I was there to get my computer, um, and of course, it was not very cool when I got back to school and all my all my colleagues uh, saw me on TV and I was there. It was really awkward, but then yeah, I couldn't care less. I had my computer. It was a pretty good one actually for the time. And as my parents were saving money, um, soon after I got the computer, I convinced them to upgrade uh with a better graphics card because it just had a two megabytes or so graphics card and yeah i used this computer a lot for school playing games and my favorite things were was actually the Encarta encyclopedia i hadn't studied english in school so basically i, I started with french pretty early and then started with russian for three more years in middle school so my english was really terrible and I could read from, from because in the Romania TV, um, there, there is no dubbing. So all the, all the movies were subtitled. So I could, I could understand what they were saying. But then it was a completely different world uh, when it came to, to learning to read and to write. And I used this encyclopedia to learn to read and write in English. Um, and then I started with English in high school, but uh, but well, they, my colleagues were already advanced pretty much. And uh, but my computer helped me catch up with the writing, reading, and listening skills. But uh, I always really struggled to speak English. So and it was yeah, really like <laughs> couldn't speak uh, at all. Um, and uh, yeah, in the high school, I loved these uh, development projects. So we had. Uh, some classes with uh, Turbo Pascal, and we were using Delphi for uh, for um, um, yeah 
GUI programming, and I, I built some stuff with that. And then I soon started to, to play with Linux on my computer. And in high school, I really liked, uh, liked physics. Um, and uh, even though I didn't study so much for that, I was uh, like the second uh, in the physics, um, this local phase of the Olympics. I don't know how it's called. And out of that, I got uh, admitted in the physics university without exam. So I could have gone to the physics to study physics in the university. Um, but I actually wanted computer science. So I insisted I go to computer science and also applied to the technical university. Um, and I was actually among the last few to get admitted. Um, and I actually really hated the couple of years, the first couple of years at the university. I was there for, for like computer science, but then they started um, with a ton of math and I didn't really uh, understand why we were studying like 12 math courses and only like three or four computer science courses in the first couple of years. Um, and yeah, also got into a interesting uh, entourage with colleagues who were about to graduate. They were partying a lot. So yeah, I almost got to drop out of university. Um, I also discovered um, like Gentoo Linux. So I installed Gentoo on my, on my computer and I spent a lot of time fiddling with it and uh, compiling stuff. So I really neglected the school. I failed a lot of exams, um, especially the math ones. Um, but somehow managed to pass the first year. And in the second year, after I failed a bunch more exams, um, I luckily met my, my girlfriend, um, my current wife. And she was also like Linux user and Actually, she helped me a lot turn around with my with my studies. Um, so I got to pass a lot of exams in the second year, catching up, um, and actually also managed to pass um, to no longer have to pay for university after the second year. Um, and six months later, I actually got this uh, basic scholarship. After you had enough high enough grades, they would give you I think fifty fifty dollars a month or so. And then the year, one more year later, uh, after we started really diving deep into computer science uh, uh, courses, I actually got uh, the performance scholarship um, after got getting rid of the math. <laughs> yeah. But then in the university, I, I actually joined the Linux group, Linux user group. Um, and I started to volunteer there, helping a bit with the organization of some events. Um, we had a summer class of Linux. Um, and yeah, somebody from this group, um, uh, I'm, I will always be grateful uh, to Adi. He recommended me uh, to work at a university in the data and communication center where, where he was working and he was member of this Linux group. So I got started there in my, uh, I think it was my third year, third year of university, 2006, March. And yeah, eventually I got uh, um, responsible for the main servers of the university, like the web servers, the email servers, a um, lot of networking gear. And I did a lot of hands-on work with Linux, FreeBSD, uh, but also 
doing uh, IT support for for like teachers uh, and even professors um, like they struggle with with IT stuff at the time sometimes and so I yes yeah, soon started to getting into more and more work streams at work like um, I got into the local branch of the uh, national educational network um, where I was uh, I was uh, helping give network uh, connectivity to like uh, high schools and other universities in the area um, and in the area of in this in that part of the country I was part of the um, uh, uh, com um, computer uh, security incidents response team. Um, I maintained the radio servers of the Edurom network for the entire country at some point. And I also got this um, HPC, high performance computing grid, which was part of the, of the CERN um, computing uh, grid system. So there I managed um, this call, it was called G-Lite Middleware. And I got started with, uh, with um, managing this, this computing cluster with Puppet um, to make it configurable at scale and implemented the like network boot system for it. So it was a fun project. And yeah, another fun project I had was um, using a bunch of obsolete uh, Sun computers with like eight megabytes of memory as thin desktop clients um, over the network and uh, powered by a bigger server. And yeah, in the university, I also participated in the Google Summer of Code uh, three times. First time for the Audacious Music Player, where I implemented a bunch of modules uh, for, for audio playback. And in the second and third years, I worked on Core Boot, which is an alternative uh, firmware software um and for Coreboot, i actually implemented uh, like a proof of concept um payload uh that would run an embedded qmu hypervisor uh compiled and embedded into the firmware image so so it was all about um reducing the size of this uh, of this software to make it fit in like four megabytes or eight megabytes of firmware image that you had on your on your computer so my my test device was able to to boot um from this from this firmware and i had a linux kernel with kvm and qmu there and i used a lot of develop um, development uh, embedded tools uh, like build root uh, uc um libc and so on um, and prepare like to to load um, VMs from the from the disk after booting just from the firmware, but it actually never got to work um, because this QMU uh, tool required uh, something called thread local storage, which was missing from the embedded C library that I used. So um, that was kind of the situation where I got uh, at the time. But then with these uh, summer of code money, I bought uh, my first laptop in the first year. And yeah, it was a, a nice upgrade. And after I finished university, I remained a couple more years um, for a master's degree there and also got to teach um, lab sessions 
um, for networking and a new course of uh, operating system administration. And that was really a lot of fun. I, I taught uh, people, um, students about um, virtualization and Linux and yeah, so the entire lab was running in, in I think we were using VirtualBox at the time. Um, and then um, in 2010, after finishing my master's degree, I joined um, Nokia Romania as a lab specialist. So there I was in charge of um, on-prem hardware. It was mainly um, HP Blade servers. Uh, I was using Puppet to configure them. And it was my first time to actually use English at work. And I really struggled to speak, but I could, yeah, definitely read and write. Um, but speaking was really bad. And uh, yeah, my first project was uh, helping a team who was building a kind of weird uh, key value database uh, um, on top of a MySQL as a backend um, and adding some Lucene uh, for, for search primitives. And this project was, was eventually canceled. I mean, I, I always wondered how could they come up with something like that, but, uh, but yeah, that was my first assignment in Nokia. And I really liked because um, they 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 had access to all these, all these cool devices. So yeah, I got my first uh, business laptop, a Lenovo laptop, um, three hundred one, I think it was very small and like, very thin. Um, and I got my first smartphone. It was a uh, Nokia N ninety seven Mini business phone, um, which had a keyboard. And then I got an N nine hundred which ran Linux and it also had a keyboard and played with a bunch of prototypes uh, of uh, Migo devices that they were building um, kind of as a response to the iPhone, which had just launched a couple of years before. But then um, Nokia changed uh, gears. Uh, they got a new uh, CEO who came from Microsoft and then uh, pushed um, a lot of uh, Windows phone um, and got uh, eventually um, yeah, to shut down the office where I was working at and they also shut down the phone factory and Nokia kind of soon um, got rid of this, of this phone business entirely and sold it to Microsoft. Um, it was an interesting story, but yeah. So I moved to Berlin, still at Nokia, but I did internal transfer and I moved to the location business of Nokia. And in, in this new uh, part of Nokia, um, um, I was uh, um, in charge of the infrastructure behind um, a new mobile application. It was m.maps.nokia.com. Um, now it's available, an evolution of that is available at mobile.here.com, which I also helped launch later. Um, but then I, I started with this mobile version, um, the first version of it, which were running in the data center. Then I took over also the desktop version of maps.nokia.com, which was built at the time with Java. And it's now available at wego.here.com after we, we changed it a bit more over time. So these are websites from the same space as Google Maps. So it's like a maps application. And I was in charge of the kind of the front end, not the tiles, but the the the, the um, frame where you have the tiles that came from a service that I managed 
Um, and we heavily used Puppet for that, which I knew from my time at university. Um, and of course, I kept having these cool Nokia business phones. I got the N9, which was the the last Linux phone uh, they they made. And then um, when they started focusing on Windows Phone, I, I also played with those a few uh, um, for a couple of years. But I really loved my my N9 and uh, former nine N900 devices. Those Linux were like like a Linux box in your pocket. And yeah, Nokia soon adopted AWS and uh, there was a huge push to the cloud. They had a ton of data centers and they saw it as an opportunity to, because nobody pretty much knew anymore what was what was running there in the data centers. So we kind of moved to the cloud uh, just to see how much of this uh, can we get rid of. Um, and within like six months, we shut down the data centers and everything was in the cloud still based on the same puppet code, but running on EC2 and yeah. And um, Nokia was still um, doing a lot of reorgs and was eventually trying to sell also this location business. Um, it was sold and now it's called Here Technologies. So after we moved to the cloud um, around 2014, um, we decided to rewrite uh, this Maps application, mapsnokia.com in Node.js and also the mobile application also in Node.js and try to get the most out of the cloud environment. And then I got to start really diving deep into AWS. Uh, we were starting to use uh, EC2, Elastic Cache, um, later started to optimize performance using CloudFront, went multi-region uh, by using the same CloudFormation stack everywhere. Um, and we spent a lot of effort making everything load fast and focused on, on web performance uh, testing using things like web page test. And we had a um, functional testing framework with Selenium. Um, so it was pretty nice and everything was deployed by, by CICD pipelines and so on. And yeah, uh, I really loved working on that, on that stuff. And um, eventually wrote a, a open source tool. It was my first open source project called uh, Clouds which I think is still there. Uh, somebody, of my, one of my former colleagues rewrote it. I wrote it in Ruby um, and it was doing cloud formation, uh, easy workflows with like, you, you get a stack from YAML and just run a command to push it or pull it. You could do like a lot of things. Um, he rewrote it in Python afterwards and it's still, it's still a nice tool to use. And I totally recommend it um, if you're doing cloud formation raw cloud formation. But then when, when Nokia was trying to sell uh, this part of uh, the location business, um, there was a lot of cost optimization work and uh, push to, to make the business more cost effective. And that's when I first started to play with spot instances. And we had this Selenium cluster that I mentioned with the testing framework. And that was, supposed to run uh, also uh, Windows machines, which were quite expensive. So we decided to like uh, use spot instances for that. And I configured spot, it was a matter of like one line, just set the bid price and you got spot. But this was the spot in the old days where the bid, the bid price was actually used uh, to see if you're running or not. So all our spot instances were terminated. Um, 
And then over the next few months, I mean, we, we did other things for cost optimization. We, I brought this back to on-demand, but I, I attended one of these AWS meetups and somehow during the meetup, um, I don't know, somebody came with an idea about using attach and detach API calls um, to replace um, uh, instances in auto scaling groups with spot instances. And something clicked in my brain and I said, yeah, that's a nice thing to do. You could just do it without configuration changes. So you can deploy something in your account and um, it would go to your group, um, attach spot instances and detach on demand instances. And you, you get uh, like 90% up to 90% cheaper capacity. And at the time I also wanted to learn Go and Lambda. So I went home and started to build something um, in Go and Lambda, but yeah, it didn't really go so far. So this was around summer, fall 2015. But in 2015, I was lucky to attend reInvent. And I was in a couple of sessions also when it came to cost optimization and, and I've seen um, some talk on, on spot um, and how people did spot with two auto scaling groups. And yeah, basically I saw that thing on stage and I was like, fuck, I could be here on stage. And uh, yeah, this, this thing that I'm thinking of is better than this. Um, so I decided to, to double down. And I also saw right after the talk, there were these guys uh, sharing business cards uh, and they were from a company called Spotinst. I mean, it's uh, probably known today, today, you know, it as spot.io, but um, yeah, they were there in the audience and, and uh, I, I also checked out their stuff after I went back home. But uh, I didn't really like it because it required uh, like re recreating your entire infrastructure from, from scratch with their model. And so as soon as I went back home, I doubled down and, and uh, started to, to come up with, uh, with something that works with my idea of attaching spot instances and detaching on-demand instances. Um, and at work, my, my project kind of um, settled down and I was assigned to something else. And I didn't really particular, I didn't particularly like what I was doing and kind of getting bored. So I challenged, I channeled my boredom um, by doubling down on my auto spotting work in my spare time. And I, yeah, it was really a fun project. I came with a ton of interesting workarounds like, um, at the time, um, I built it in Lambda with Go, but Go was not supported as a runtime. So I, I wrote little shim in, in Node.js and later in Python that would download um, a binary from my S3 bucket and run it in Lambda. Uh, and that binary was compiled with Go and, and doing a lot of things in the account. And I had a, at some point I had a cron rule in my own account that, that created events and posted them to um, uh, SNS and every one of my users was signed, like uh, subscribed to my SNS topic. And it was getting these events uh, from my account uh, because uh, I just couldn't create those from CloudFormation in the customer's account. 
and I didn't really want to do cu custom resources. I mean, I, I didn't know how to do those yet. So yeah, a lot of these interesting workarounds, I mean, even today there are workarounds uh, with, with the marketplace. Uh, I'll talk about those a bit later. So um, auto-spotting eventually got to work um, and in around March, April, 2016, I posted about it on Hacker News, sharing the idea and how it was going to work. And yeah, in June, a couple, a couple of months later, uh, I released the first version of auto-spotting as open source under the MIT license, which is very liberal license. You could, you could do anything with it. And within a couple of months, I got my first user. Um, I, I, I will not never forget how, how broken it was when he first tried it out. And yeah, got a bunch of things going on, but eventually I improved it based on his feedback and we got it work. And he was really happy by like September, October, he was already going with it. And in December, um, I got my first major contribution from from somebody and uh, there were a lot of uh, fixes and test coverage and yeah it's uh, slowly get started getting more and more more and more uh, traction and improvements uh, contributions from everybody and by the end of 2017 it had already become a pretty popular project uh, enough to be used by by maybe hundreds hundreds of companies um, later, I realized way more than I, I had thought. Um, and yeah, I saw, I saw this um, and I started to actually monetize it because it, it was saving people a lot of money. But I was really clueless about monetization. And uh, yeah, what I did, I tried like getting donations uh, via Patreon. And there was a guy giving me like five, five bucks a month for three or four months uh, and that was my my entire income from this um, for like half of 2018. And I didn't mind. I, I had a full-time job at here. I was happy it's still there. Um, but then I found about a company, actually two companies that uh, used my code, my MIT licensed code to build uh, competing products. Um, uh, one of them is still running. It's called Exosphere. Um, I think they are still doing stuff uh, with Spot. And the other one went out of business. It was called Max Spotter. I mean, probably there are more, but I don't know about them. Um, and yeah, after I saw them, I decided uh, I don't really like that. Um, and I started to figure out better ways to monetize. And I started to offer, still through, through Patreon, I was offering a paid subscription. Uh, and I was giving stable builds that I had tested and I was charging like, I think I started with 50 bucks for, for uh, entire account and 10 bucks per region and so on. And a lot of people started to use, but I got like the, the peak was around 600 bucks a month. And I wanted to ramp, to ramp it up as a side business and at the time, um, I couldn't really grow it further than that. So, but then I kept working on it. I built a bunch of interesting things. I rolled it out at here technologies at, at part of my day job. And they kind of soon migrated all their dev environments to spot, um, 
literally overnight and saved a lot of money with that move. Um, and yeah, I, I had attempted like to, to build a consultancy and uh, like a professional services business around it. But because I failed to get the traction, um, I decided I, I still need to learn about these things. And then I get this uh, this call from, from AWS. And uh, basically, I was uh, um, invited to join as a professional services consultant, um, which for me, it seemed like an opportunity to learn about maybe what am I not doing right with this professional services business that I'm trying to ramp up. Uh, so I joined that. Um, it was right before the pandemic started, um, kind of to learn the ropes of uh, how to run a consultancy business. And yeah, I, I after I joined, I got approval to work on auto spotting on the side because it was not really um, related to my to my daily work. But then I tried to do some marketing um, and to talk. Um, like I, I, I had been talking with uh, with Corey Quinn um, uh, from from the Duckbill Group to be to be uh, appear in his podcast and talk about my my software. And I had arranged uh, to talk just before joining, but then then somehow things were delayed. And then after I joined, I was supposed to get a PR approval and PR rejected my request. And I was really um, upset and considering to quit uh, in race. But uh, yeah, I had just joined the company and I was like concerned it would not look nice on my CV to, to leave so, so soon. So I stayed at AWS and um, got to do a lot of uh, consultancy work. Um, I was uh, implementing security controls for banks, completely different from my work on, on auto spotting. And at the time, um, I also had a, had a child, a two-year-old child. And this, this consultancy work required me to travel pretty much on a weekly basis to different places uh, around Europe. So I traveled a lot to Madrid and then to London. And also um, like this was a lot of time and like I didn't really have time to work on auto spotting. And uh, I was also really upset a bit because of my, of my company laptop, which was pretty underpowered. It was a 1.4 gigahertz MacBook Pro with eight gigs of memory. And I was using that for development at the customer and yeah, just running a Docker image on that wasn't really running anymore. But then um, I got in touch with people from the spot service team who contacted me uh, after I joined AWS, they, they realized I joined and they got me in, in all sorts of uh, conversations, uh, including with customers. Uh, I had also conversations with, uh, with um, product managers about the future of the spot service. And I, I hope I realized that actually auto spotting had been pretty successful in the space. Um, a significant percentage of the of the spot instances were were being launched with auto spotting, and the even the third largest spot customer at the time that I had no idea uh, of, they were using auto spotting at a massive scale, and they were saving saving in the like in the like I don't know maybe seven seven figures or eight eight figures um, a year. So. 
yeah, I switched to the spot service team and I was a, a specialist uh, solution architect um, for spot, um, covering spot across uh, EMEA, which is uh, where I'm based. Um, for a while, I was pretty much the only one um, covering spot after after a few reorgs and people leaving and yeah and basically uh, my focus has been helping the largest customers adopt spot as per the best practices and helping them to save money get the best out of the spot uh, capacity getting the capacity and avoiding interruptions and yeah also ve work very closely with the uh, containers uh, and the uh, hpc specialist solution architects in my region and trained um, hundreds of, uh, of solution architects on, on spot best practices, how they can use it at their customers. So in early 2021, I, had, I was already in my new role. I finished my onboarding and then I convinced my new boss to buy me a new laptop uh, because I really hated my previous laptop. And it was this uh, MacBook with the M1 chip, which had just launched uh, like six months before. And I, I got that as soon as it became available uh, internally in AWS. Uh, it, it, we had this thing uh, called Bravehearts, I think. And you could get uh, to test things. And one of the things to test was this, this uh, ARM laptop. So I got that and really loved the M1 um, ARM chip. Um, it was really out of the, like completely, um, from a different world compared to my previous laptop when it came to performance. Um, also, battery consumption was way lower. It was completely silent. So, yeah, I, I was in love. I fell in love with ARM uh, capacity, I, at least ARM when it comes to my laptop. And then a few months later, um, I, I learned that uh, my group will be covering also Graviton as well. So because Graviton is this ARM-based offering for EC2, I was really uh, eager to, to get my hands with that on that. And uh, I really jumped at this um, um, and had a lot of fun um, also covering um, Graviton in addition to Spot for a while. So Gra Graviton gives significant uh, price performance benefits compared, compared to x86, uh, just like you can get better performance uh, from from these M1 chips on on the MacBooks, um, yeah. And throughout my throughout my work, I kept working on auto spotting, um, mostly in my spare time. But there were a couple of features that uh, my bosses wanted me to do in auto spotting because uh, of the scale that I was running at, and uh, they asked me to make it to make it a bit more friendly to the to the platform, to the backend. Uh, and use some of the new things. Um, so, yeah. And then as I was, I kept working on the side. Um, eventually, I I put auto-spotting on the AWS Marketplace. And uh, I converted it to charge a small percentage of the savings. Um, because I realized that my, my flat fee I was charging on Patreon was uh, too much for my new users who were just getting started. But it was also too little for the for the bigger ones, so I just set it to like five percent of the savings, 
to make it like a no-brainer for users. And I also didn't really want to get money out of it because um, I had this uh, Amazon uh, job where I was making a ton of money. Um, and uh, yeah, to my knowledge, um, auto-spotting is still probably the only serverless application um, built with Lambda and running entirely in the customer's AWS account without having uh, a SaaS backend. And that was, uh, was something that, that I, I had a little, also a lot of fun building, a lot of workarounds, making it uh, able to build through the marketplace. Um, and also I carved out a feature of auto-spotting that I first built uh, for EBS volume uh, optimization. Because when, when you launch these spot instances, uh, I, I saw that, uh, th that um, there were these GP3 volumes and I thought it would be nice if I give spot instances with GP3 out of the box. But then I realized there's way more potential for that outside of auto-spotting. So I carved that functionality out and built a second tool, uh, which I call EBS Optimizer. And that I also put on the AWS Marketplace uh, last year. So yeah, but throughout my employment at AWS, um, I always wanted to be able to um, get on eventually on my own uh, and double down on auto spotting and do my own things. And I also couldn't do any marketing um, because it, especially in my second role, it was uh, um, pretty clear conflict of interest because I was this spot solution architect and I was building on the side the spot uh, spot tool. So I kept building it, but I couldn't promote it at all. And that's why I decided to leave AWS so I can, again, double down on it and, and start promoting it and market do marketing for it and all the things. So back in September, three months ago, I left AWS um, so I could double down on, on, on my own things. Um, I did a lot of work on auto-spotting. Um, I did two major releases, actually three, con uh, considering my, my Black Friday. I also started to work on, on uh, revamping the EBS optimizer. Um, I spent a lot of time um, on um, like being more visible on LinkedIn, on Twitter, um, started a couple of meetups. So yeah, that's kind of how, how I got to this idea to also start a podcast. And yeah, the idea is to, to be about cloud optimization, um, not necessarily about cost, but also when it comes to performance, latency, I don't know. And the, the idea, I have a lot of ideas what I will talk about, and, but I'm still trying to come up with, a, with like a list of topics. And yeah, so this was just my first episode of my podcast. Um, thank you so much for, for uh, staying with me for these almost an hour now, um, I, I'm happy um, I was able to share my entire story. And yeah, in the following episodes, I'll start sharing about uh, technical deep dives on, on various things. Um, I'll probably start with, with my turf, with Spot, but I'll cover also Graviton and, and whatever else um, I, can, I can think about. And yeah, thank you so much. and. That's uh, all for now. Um, looking forward to to um, um, the next episode. And yeah, please, um, if you like this this episode, um, 
by all means um, give it uh, a nice uh, rate um, on on uh, on Spotify or, or or your podcast app. Um, it's uh, it helps a lot if you if you um, help me um, promote it to other people through word of mouth. So yeah, that's it. Thank you so much, and until next time.